you join me in Matthew chapter 1? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you're our guest today, maybe you're new to church and you don't know where Matthew is, don't sweat it. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's about oh, three quarters of your way through your Bible. It's the beginning of the New Testament. And this is just after the genealogy of Jesus, that one we just saw in the video. We're going to pick up in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is a rich passage. This is the kind of passage preachers love. It's been called the text of 10,000 sermons, and I am sure much more than 10,000 sermons have been preached on this passage. And in fact, today, Christians around the world are looking at this same passage this morning. And every time I return to this text over the last few weeks, I would want to tear up the draft of the sermon I was working on and preach a different one because something new and inspiring would appear to me in this text. For instance, that word birth, she gave birth to a son. And with that phrase and that word, it's like this curtain is pulled back and we get to peer in on the character of God himself. Because births are not easy, from what I can tell. You know, they're painful and messy and vulnerable. You know, God could have entered his world that he created on a divine escalator, just coming on down in, and instead he enters the world the same way that you and I did, in all vulnerability and humanity in birth. There's a sermon there someone might preach. And then there's that word Messiah, just a few words in, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. You recall when Samuel the prophet, hundreds of years before this, goes to this man Jesse's house looking for the king of Israel. And one by one, Jesse's sons march in front of Samuel, and each one is handsome and striking and smart. And Samuel's ready to pick his king each time one of those walks in until God whispers into Samuel's ear, don't look at what people look at. Look at what I'm looking at. And lastly, David, the last son of Jesse, walks in and Samuel sees a man after God's own heart. And he rises and he anoints David, the shepherd who will become king of Israel. And years later, God promises this king, King David, that there will always be one of his sons on his throne forever. An anointed one, the Messiah, and that his kingdom will endure forever. And for hundreds of years, God's people have been waiting on that king. And this boy, born and laid in this manger, we see God keeps his promises and his kingdom will endure forever. There's a sermon there. It was a good sermon. 
And then you've got this miraculous pregnancy. Here, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? It is a miracle in the fullest sense of that word miracle. It is a supernatural intervention in our natural world when things happen in a different way than they are supposed to happen. And yet we see in Romans 8 that that same miracle is taking place inside each of us, that the Holy Spirit is converting us, is birthing in us children, of God, that the Holy Spirit is still making children of God in each one of us. That miracle is on display in your life and in my life, not just once here in this story. That's a sermon you could preach. And then there's Joseph. Joseph is a good man, we're told. He's righteous is how it's translated here. He's going to do the good thing and he's going to divorce Mary quietly. But we see here in this text, there is a difference between good and faithful sometimes. And God does not settle for goodness when God wants faithfulness. And what God wants from Joseph is for this man to be faithful. And that is a sermon right there. <clears throat> you see what I mean? There's a lot of sermons here. And so if the sermon I end up preaching today disappoints you, just imagine I preached one of those and it was really good. <laughs> but here's what I can't get over. This is the sermon. Emmanuel. God with us. That's the sermon. And if you're looking at this passage in your Bible, you'll notice, and you probably picked up on it when we read it, that there's kind of a peculiar thing about that name in this passage. We're told that Joseph is to name the child Jesus to fulfill the prophecy that he will name the child Emmanuel. Those are two different names. It'd be like naming your child Eric to fulfill the prophecy you would name your child Brecian. For the record, one of those names is better than the other. Right? They're two different names. I don't think God's making a mistake. I don't think Joseph is pulling a fast one on God. In fact, it's when you put those two names side by side that really the whole sermon preaches itself. We have Jesus, God saves, by becoming Emmanuel, God with us. That's Christmas. God saves us by being with us. Bonnie loved Christmas. I met Bonnie when she was in her late 80s at the Cottonwood Church of Christ, where I preached for a few years. I've shared stories there. Bonnie was really sharp. She was a self-taught businesswoman. She owned the subway in the metropolis of Cross Plains, Texas. For the record, the subway was the only restaurant in Cross Plains, Texas. Cross Plains was about 15 minutes from Cottonwood. And so on Sundays when we didn't have potluck after church, she would tell Lindsay and I to follow her down to the subway. And we'd go in and she'd say, pick you out a sandwich, they're on the house. And she'd say, get you some of them warm cookies too. We ate a lot of Subway sandwiches in our three years at Cottonwood, Texas. Miss Bonnie loved us really well. And the last year I was there, Miss Bonnie, in the course of conversation she would occasionally just begin to forget words in the sentence. You know, she'd be rattling off a sentence, and then it was just like a word would just escape her, and, and she couldn't find it. And we'd all assure her, Miss Bonnie, that happens to everybody. Don't worry about it. You know, that happens to everyone. But it rattled her. As time went on in that last year, several times Miss Bonnie would leave her house in rural West Texas, and she would begin to head to Subway and suddenly not remember where she was going. And not remember where she was. And multiple times, Miss Bonnie just wondered, just drove around for hours the dirt roads of West Texas, terrified and afraid, totally alone. And I'll never forget the Sunday we asked for prayer requests at the end of service, and Miss Bonnie raised her hand. A tear began to roll down 
her cheek and she said, the doctors tell me I have the early stages of, um, um, what's the word? What's the word? I'll never forget Bob, her friend, gave her the word. Dementia, Bonnie. Dementia. Yes, that's it. I have dementia. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I think about Bonnie a lot at Christmas time because she loved Christmas. And I was reminded of Miss Bonnie this last week as I was working on this sermon. And I think it's because of something the angel says to Joseph. The angel tells Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And if you read the verses before this, fear is not the verb or the adjective, sorry, that I would use to describe Joseph. He is not fearful in this text. At least he doesn't seem to be. You know, he has just found out that his fiance is pregnant. He knows it's not his kid. And even if she has told him it's God's kid, he suspects it doesn't work like that. He doesn't know a lot about it, but he's pretty sure it doesn't work like that. And so here this woman that he is betrothed to be married to has a child that is not his, and so he's probably hurt, he's probably mad, he's probably embarrassed, but you don't get the sense that he is afraid. Now Mary, we can understand why Mary would be afraid. And in Luke's gospel, Mary is very afraid. She's this young girl who's carrying this child that she had not planned for. And she's in a world where this child puts her in all kinds of danger. She's going to be ostracized. She may even be stoned to death, nevertheless divorced quietly by Joseph. She has every reason to be afraid. But why would Joseph be afraid? The philosopher Charles Taylor says that most of us live in what he calls the imminent frame. And I understand that. Think about those two words. Imminent means close, and frame has to do with what I can see around me. And what he means is that most people live their lives believing in and only dealing with what they can see immediately around them. So much like someone with memory loss, we forget what we can't see. And if you think about that, you think about Miss Bonnie, you realize how fearful of a world that would be. If I am on my own in this world, and there are not powers out there that I cannot see, listening to my prayers, responding to my needs, walking with me step by step, side by side, then I am alone, and that is terrifying. And Joseph is terrified. He's afraid. And we think that religious people are immune from that feeling. But think about how many days you go about your life totally unaware or giving no attention to God. You can wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night and not thought about God once, right? And that's Joseph. He is righteous. He's checking all the right religious boxes. But when push comes to shove, Joseph believes he is on his own. And his pregnant fiance is proof of that all over again. You can't count on anybody on this slide, Joseph believes he is totally on his own and he is afraid. And so here this passage is laced with these miracles that invade Joseph's small and fearful world. Okay, first of all, you have this angel who shows up on the scene and speaks to Joseph and they have a conversation. For the record, that's not normal. It's miraculous. 
And then you have Mary who is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, this angel tells him. And again, he knows that's not the way it works. This is miraculous. And then we have this prophecy from Isaiah, which is hundreds of years before the birth of this child in which Isaiah predicts this virgin birth. And most of us believe that would not be possible if there were not a God. So this passage is laced with all of these miracles that it's really critical to remember. Those miracles come in the context of overwhelming fear. So think about this. This is profound. This is a window into who God is and God's work in the world. God's miraculous presence in the world has a purpose. It has a heavenly purpose, God's glory. It has an eternal purpose, the salvation of your sins or you from your sins. But it has an immediate purpose here in this text. And that is overcoming human fear. Overcoming that feeling we all feel deep down inside. That God's miracles are ministry to fear. And C.S. Lewis called the birth of Jesus Emmanuel the grand miracle. Um, I can remember the last time I slept in my parents' bedroom. I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but it's old enough that I don't want to tell you how old I was. Uh, We were in San Antonio at the time, and in San Antonio, there is this ghost story attached to this particular set of railroad tracks in town. And so one of our youth ministers had the bright idea, or children's ministers, had the idea to... um, to take a bunch of kids to these, these, this, these ghost tracks and try to spook up some ghosts. Well, we didn't spook up any ghosts, but we spooked me pretty good, okay? And so that night, I'll never forget, I slept on my parents' floor, comforted by the sound of my dad snoring all night long, just next to me. Think about fear for a second. Think about fear. Imagine you're walking into a haunted house. You're walking into this place with all of these unknown, uncertain turns where things are going to be jumping out at you, scaring you. What is the first thing you do? You reach for your date's hand. We just took our oldest to kindergarten not long ago. And what did he do as he walked through the doors that first day? Grab mama's hand. And I spent a lot of time in hospital rooms with those who are near the end of their life. And I'll tell you at that moment, it does not matter to you what drugs they're pumping into your body. What matters to you is who is in that room with you. And I've seen gruff old men and sweet ladies reach out and grab my hand in the hands of others in that moment. Because when you are afraid, you do not want to be alone. Now, you're probably here this morning because you know you're not alone. You believe in Emmanuel. That's why you're at church on Sunday, on Christmas Sunday, to celebrate the arrival of Jesus in the world. The very fact that you woke up this morning with a prayer on your lips is confirmation. You believe there is someone out there who is listening. Your world is not without challenges, but you know you are not alone in those challenges. But can you imagine those who don't believe that? Can you imagine those who do not wake up with a prayer on their lips? Can you imagine what it would be like to lose somebody you love without the one who comforts those who mourn? Can you imagine trying to make some decision that is going to alter your life without the wisdom 
of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine trying to forgive somebody who has hurt you dreadfully without knowing that you have first been forgiven much? Yeah, that's a world to be afraid of. And Joseph is afraid. And the angel of God notices that Joseph is afraid. It's a curious thing that God would care about our fear. In fact, let me suggest to you that that is one of the main differences between Christianity and other religions in the world. Now, there are a host of other differences, but as you get towards the core, that may be one of, one of the truest differences. That other religions out there, there are gods, and they care about you only to the extent that you give them what they need. So sacrifice and praise. They frankly don't care how you feel or what you are afraid of, except to the extent that you fear them. But God not only cares about our fear, He notices it, He sees it. And He comes to be present in it. If you think about fear biblically, and you're thinking about passages that have to do with fear, there's probably one that comes to your mind. You see it on football players on their eye black, Joshua 1.9. You've seen that before? Right? That passage is not originally in the context of football, and I'm not sure it has anything to do with football. Um, you remember the context of that passage? This is the story, okay? Israel is in the wilderness. They have been wandering, and Moses has died. They feel totally alone. They are not sure what comes next. And God comes to Joseph, knowing that, God, he, he, knowing that his people feel like God has been distant, knowing that Joshua himself, not Joseph, Joshua himself feels like God has been distant. And God shows up to Joshua, and this is what he said. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. You know, it's here we see it is only the presence of God that can minister to my fear. And there is a prophecy in this text that we read this morning from Isaiah about Emmanuel. It's the the prophecy from which we derive the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that song is written in a time hundreds of years after that one, after Joshua. When again, Israel is wondering, does not sense God's presence. And what do they most long for in that fearful moment? God, that's it. That's the only thing that will make this better. And so we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. I open with that story about Miss Bonnie, who I do think about a lot at Christmas time. And I think many of us have, have dealt with memory loss in our families, with those that we love. Many of us have walked that road, and some of us are walking that right now. It is certainly been a part of the story of the Highland family and our life here together. And I think with those struggling for memory loss that we don't, we don't see something different from ourselves, that in reality we see what is true of all of us. That we all struggle with living our lives in the imminent frame where we forget about the miraculous presence, the intercession, the glory and will of God all around us. And we deal only with what is immediately present. And the truth is, when you are living in that world, whatever curveballs come your way, they come in a terrifying manner. They knock you off your feet. They are a fearful thing. 
And so we, like those struggling from memory loss, we, we are just like them in that we, mo- we most long for in those most fearful moments is somebody to be with us. Miss Bonnie's story reminds me of a, a video. I, I was exposed to this video about 10 years ago, and I've watched it every Christmas since. It's a human story, but I think it's one of those stories that reflects that greater and grander story that we're telling this morning. We're going to watch a short video, and this video is not that polished. It's 10 years old. It's, it's not a normal Highland video made by Russ Terman that y'all have come to expect. It's much less, but it's pretty powerful. It's a story about a guy named Robert McQuilkin, who was a university president for 22 years. And he resigned. He stepped down to care for his wife, Muriel, who was struggling from Alzheimer's. They've been married 40 years. And in his resignation speech, he describes why. He describes how Muriel becomes fearful and terrified when he's not around her. And so he needs to be with her at all times. And I think as you'll see in this story, that in it, we'll see a little bit about the greater story of God. Let's watch this video. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions. But uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror, and when she can't get to me, there could be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing She sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Beautiful as that story is, like I said, it's only an echo of the greater story. The story we tell every Christmas and the story we celebrate every Sunday, right? Now here we have this wonderful man who retires, who sacrifices to come and be with a woman who has already sacrificed much for him, a woman to whom he says that he was in debt. And it is a beautiful thing to witness that kind of, kind of love. But how much more beautiful is it that Christ dies for us while we are still sinners, not wonderful people? And here we have a man who retires to be with his bride. How much more beautiful that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing the form of that child, to be with us. Now here was a woman to whom he was in debt, and how marvelous and wonderful that Christ pays the debts we cannot pay ourselves. 
In the example of Christ, which we see echoed in this video you just saw, we truly see what love actually is. Love that never fails, love that always tr trusts, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. And what we learn about love from John is that perfect love casts out fear. And that's what we have in Emmanuel. One final thing about this story, you'll notice in the story that Joseph does name Jesus. It's a powerful moment because this is not his son, not in the biological sense. And the naming of a child is a moment you claim that child is yours. And so what we have here when Joseph names this child, Jesus is an adoption ceremony. And I want you to think about that for just a second. Here you have this man who was afraid, who believed he was alone in the world, who was ready to dismiss this woman and child quietly rather than deal with the repercussions. Here we have this man who was terrified, who now adopts this child, who names this child, because in this child, he finally is convinced that God is with him too. And that changes everything. He's no longer afraid. Paul tells us in Philippians that the fearlessness of God's people will be their greatest witness in the world because we live in a fearful world, but it's you and I who know that if God is for us, then who can be against us? It is you and I gathered in this room together today who like Joseph have claimed Jesus as our own because we see in this child that God is with me and with you, that he is with us and we are not alone. And so we do not face this world afraid for his perfect love cast out our fear. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that born to